Hello, and welcome to the Small Business Sewing Podcast. Join host Kathleen, that's me, from Sunny Mountain Patterns, and Brandilyn from Daily Sews and Stuff, and guest experts as we discuss how to run successful sewing businesses, innovations in sewing, and ways to make more money doing what you love. Okay, so here at the, the Small Business Sewing Podcast, we've had a major technical difficulty. We just spent about an hour having a great conversation with Naomi here, who is our special guest today. This is Naomi Kratz. She's from Hello. Vancouver, Canada. She talks about business image and branding, and she is really amazing and has great things to share with us. However, only, only Kathleen and I, only Kathleen and I got her information this last hour because there was a little snafu with the whole recording thing. So let's so start gonna, again. We're going to start again and we don't have a ton of time. So we're going to do our best to uh, kind of recap what we were saying. And then Naomi has already said that she will very graciously come back another time. and we We'll have a part two. Add to this. Yes. We'll have a part two. <laughs> More in depth. Um, okay. So we're going to start over again. So today we have a special guest, Naomi Kratt, and we're talking about business image and branding. Uh, she's from Vancouver, Canada. She also runs the small biz with a Z. Uh, branding. branding. Thank you. I had a brain fart. <laughs> the small biz branding. Uh Facebook group Facebook. and she has her own website where she offers coaching uh, for people specifically for sewing businesses that are trying to uh, up their branding and image qualities. So welcome uh, for the second time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's get right into it. Uh, why is business branding important for a sewer? Branding is super important for, for all product-based business. I mean, all businesses in general, general, but especially product-based businesses, because as we're kind of moving into more and more of a digital age, um, we're kind of replacing this experience of being in a store, especially this year, being in a store, um, touching and feeling products um, and interacting with, with people and with the product. We're kind of trying to replace that with an online presence. Um, and your brand is basically just meant to give an experience to, to the customer that they can't really achieve um, without being in person with the product. So people can't touch and feel your product um, and they can't really get to know you. So branding is super important to kind of give the, the customer a context and something to kind of latch onto and relate to with your, with your company. So I know, I know that we're trying to jam all this into a short time, but I think, I still think that people need to hear your story and kind of hear how you got here and hear why oh, you're I'm, amazing at this. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> Okay. Absolutely. We've done it already once. Yeah, it was great practice. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was really good, guys. Um, so I I started my own small shop back in 2018. Um, I started, well, I kind of started. It took me about a year of prep and research um just to figure everything out and um just kind of get a grasp on on what I wanted to do um, and the, the legalities of it, all the stuff that's not fun, but needs to be done. Um, and I opened my shop in early 2019. Um, I started with sewing clothes for my kids and then that just kind of morphed into starting a business as it does for many people. Um, and I just basically being in the community, well, the, the shop went really well. Like the, the first year went great, um, better than I could have imagined, which was super encouraging. Um, cause obviously something had to have gone right if it went well, basically as I was interacting in the community of small shop owners, um, I noticed that there was a huge need for, um, for sewing businesses, especially to understand, 
the ins and outs of, of brand identity and kind of how they were relating to relating to their audience. Um, you know, I noticed a lot of shops being like, I'm not making sales. I'm not getting engagement. What's going on. And then taking a look at their, at their company, at their social media, at their website, it felt kind of natural to me, um, figuring out what was going wrong. Um, and, and kind of helping them troubleshoot what they could be doing better. Um, so basically in that process, I kind of transitioned after about 16 months of owning my shop, I transitioned into helping brands figure out their brand identity and, um, and kind of reach their, their potential as a shop. Cause I think that so many small shops, they have such great potential and have an amazing product because so many home sewists, like they can make like stellar items. Um, but they don't know how to properly communicate that and showcase that to their audience. Um, so, you know, the days of your product speaks for yourself are kind of gone, um, especially when people can't feel the product in person. Um, so when you're trying to do that all online and you're competing with thousands of other shops, um, you know, you really do need to stand out online. So, um, I love to help shops do that and figure out what is unique to them and how they can stand out online. So how can somebody be unique online? One of the things we talked about a lot before was your personality and, and showing mm -hmm. your personality. So can you kind of recap some of those things that we talked yeah. about? <laughs> yeah, so the, the first step uh, and most important one arguably is going to be your brand voice um, and figuring out basically how to relate to your audience, uh, what, what you want to say to them um, and how you want to say it. Um, and really, it should be really cohesive with just your own personality and like what feels natural to you, um, because you're going to have to carry it through long term. So if it doesn't feel natural to you, then don't go down that road, because eventually if you start switching and you start getting more comfortable and speaking more like your true self, people are going to be like, who is this person that I feel like I've gotten to know that's not here anymore? So um, brand voice is super important. Um, and that's just you know, basically in a nutshell, how you speak to your audience, um, how you relate to them, what you're saying. I feel like people um, can tell if you're being uh, yeah. not natural to yourself. Mm, they absolutely dis can. Disgenuine, ingenuine. Disingenuous, I think. Disingenuous, yeah. Disingen English yeah. is strange. So, I mean, for example, we're going to keep this where we're going, oh my gosh, we spent an hour talking about this and I did not press the record, but I did. Something changed on Zoom. Anyway. <laughs> So we're totally keeping this. And like Naomi was saying before, uh, that you, we're not privy to this conversation, but things like <laughs> using colloquial terms, you know, phrases that you normally would use. So like Brandon would say y'all a lot yeah. because, or I'm fixing to do something because that's in her <laughs> normal vocabulary. That's my vernacular. Right. Exactly. And I, like my question was, I'm from Hawaii. So I use uh, Hawaiian pigeon, which has certain phrases that people are not used to, like, um, you know, if can, can, if no can, no can. Like, I don't know if you guys understand what that means. It means if you can do it, we'll do it. If we can, if it can't be done or if we can't do it, we're not going to be able to do it. So my question was like, if you talk like that, if you have a patois or a local dialect that you use uh, consistently in your normal speech, should you include it or should you not include it? Or should you include it with uh, some explanation? What's the best way to approach that? Yeah. So it, it's, I would say like never flatten your personality. If that is part of the way you speak, then don't, don't leave that out because I feel like you're doing people a disservice and not really getting to know who you are. Um, and use it to your advantage if the majority of your audience is local to you. Um, so go for it. If, if the majority of your audience would, would understand it, then just go for it. If 
a good chunk of your audience wouldn't understand it, then just kind of maybe give them a little context or even just like a little blurb and parentheses of like, if you don't understand. Click here for an explanation. Exactly. Like, like get in on the joke, you know, like it's, it's, it doesn't have to be super formal of like, here's the definition of blah, blah, blah. And we talked about, and we talked about how people want to be in on the joke. So they'll Google it. They'll exactly. Themselves. We, we keep they referring do, this we conversation. All we all Google these. <laughs> but you guys had that great clip about Gilmore Girls. That's oh, yeah. not a- yes. We talked about Gilmore Girls. And it's how we had to show. Google people. You have to repeat this. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure so- everyone who's ever watched Gilmore Girls has Googled a pop culture reference because you have you no idea what you're talking about. But apparently it's really funny. Yes. Speaking of audience, how do you get to know your audience? Oh, that's whoa, whoa, whoa. Hard. hold on. Wait, wait, did I hold skip on. a question? What? We skipped something really important there. Thank you. When you are, when you're, <laughs> when you're speaking, you're, you're going to naturally speak in your own voice. But mm. a lot of us were taught um, your hand. to write. Sorry. Yes. I raised my hand there. We're <laughs> taught to write more formally. As Kathleen said, I'll say y'all and fix into all day long. Yeah. But when I go to write, I don't usually include those. So we talked exactly. about how we write to still. So tell us. Tell us that again, please. So, I mean, when I'm, this is something I'm practicing is that when I'm writing a blog or an email and I have like potentially an inappropriate joke that pops in my head, um, I'm (laughs) obviously let's maybe get a second set of eyes to make sure it's not super inappropriate, (laughs) but like if people really want to get to know me, they, they want to know that like, you know, my thought process. So like, don't, don't exclude those things. Or for example, like I'm Canadian and one of our jokes here is like, we have all these different ways of saying yes and no. So like, yeah, no means no, no, yeah means yeah. And yeah, no, for sure means yes. <laughs> so like, I'll add those you things You have to do it with a if... Canuck voice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Um, so Canadian. <laughs> But like, there's no, there's no uh, reason to exclude those things to, to sound like you are somehow trying to appeal to all nations and all states. And I mean, don't, don't sound like you're an anchorman from like Midwest. Exactly. There's no reason to, for, to try to convince people that you are not um, somehow vocally inclined (laughs) based on where you were born or where you grew up. Right. Um, it's part of who you are. So there's, there's, there's no sense in excluding it. Um, I mean, there's definitely, for example, someone that maybe is from London has, uh, different dialects. That's like, people don't even understand what you're saying at all. But if that's where they're, if that's where their, their audience is, then it's fine. If, if they have more of an international audience, maybe adding some more context, um, so people can at least understand you. <laughs> right. So the words you choose and how you, how you write your emails, how you write your product mm-hmm. information, those uh, can be part of the brand image though. Absolutely. To yeah. Who just you are your, and what's your style is. Yeah. You should aim for, you know, when people are, are, um, are reading your emails or your blog posts, uh, if they are reading it in your voice, especially if they've heard you on audio or video, then you've hit Let's the you nail on it. the head. Um, and, and if that means that you are speaking in a dialect that only a certain amount of people understand, then that's the way it is. Um, there's no, there's no shame in that. You should just, whatever feels natural to you, speak, speak as if you were having a conversation with a friend. So how do you get to know who your audience is? So you yeah. should know the answer to this already. You've answered the one. question. How do you get to know your audience? There are so many ways I would say, you know, if you, if you have an audience already, 
um, engaging in conversation is going to just be the best way to get to know them. Ask them questions. I mean, it shouldn't be like an interview, but just engaging with them like you should already be online and getting to know them as people. Um, if you don't have an audience, which obviously a lot of new businesses don't, that's totally okay. What I usually recommend doing is finding um, a small group of companies that you aspire to, um, that you kind of admire the way they present themselves online, and potentially if they uh, if they offer a similar product to you. Um, our idea or the the goal isn't to hijack someone else's account and like, hey, check out my company. Yeah, Please never do super that. Super smarmy. Don't do that. Yes, don't ever do that. But the idea is to go look at who they are following or who is sorry, who is following them and just get an idea. You can write notes who this person is and like what what are some similarities um, amongst the people that are following these brands? And it could be anything from like their home decor to the way they talk, uh, the the different um, maybe keywords that they use in terms of um, like style or or the product that they're interested in or whatever, and just kind of get to know the audience, get to know who they are, um, and then engage with them just as a person. No, don't mention your business. Just, you know, you can go on people's profile and like something and leave a nice comment. Like this is what people, this is what social media is for. Just engage with people that you think might be interested in what you're offering. Um, and then the second key is to have a cohesive brand representation on your profile if you're wanting them to follow you. Because if they're landing on your profile and they don't like what they see, it's probably not going to lead anywhere, but you will get to know them. So, I, you know, that's that's going to be step, step number one is really just getting to know um, the type of person that is is following like a similar company or a company you aspire to. Which is actually a great thing to do, too, because you can see where their pain points are. So if they Absolutely. have enough of a pain, they're like, this company puts tags on the back and it's scratching mm -hmm. me. I don't like that. Maybe you can think, I can start stamping instead of mm -hmm. using the tag in the back of the neck or put it somewhere else that's, uh, of course, we're not giving legal advice, you know, <laughs> we're not lawyers, uh, but maybe you can use a different option that won't cause that pain point or they didn't like the fact that there was um, no French seams, for example, mm -hmm. and you want a smoother was, feel. Mm -hmm. They didn't like that there was so much plastic in the packaging. Packaging, right. There's exactly. the things you can improve on as features that you know that that set of customers doesn't like. I, I literally went through every single review for uh, my chaser company that I am uh, trying to emulate to see what the pain points were, what uh, mm -hmm. parts they really loved. So I try to, uh, I try to fix and improve on the pain points. So for mm -hmm. example, for mine, they're like, um, there's no video instruction. So oh, it's only yes. written. Oh. So it's too hard to sew the product without seeing how it's made. So Huge I'm doing video. Me too. I love video instruction. Uh, similarly, when I started doing projector patterns, because I was really, really new, I asked the group because there's actually really no, uh, Hold it's on. so new. I want to interject here. Kathleen, <laughs> I, I, I want to interject here because I want to brag on you. Oh, Kathleen you. asked in the group, uh, the projectors for sewing group, how can I, um, you know, as a designer, make a good projector file? And she got a bunch of responses and then she listened to them. Mm. So, okay, so a, a lot of deal. designers, a lot of designers have come and asked in there, but they don't always listen to what the answers are. And there might be reasons for that that I don't know because I'm not a designer and it might be difficult to include or whatever. And sometimes the advice they're given is conflicting. So I get that. But she actually really, really listened. And she, she mm -hmm. makes really great projector files because she listened to what we were saying. She didn't even have a projector then. 
So she listened to what we were saying was necessary. That's a great point, actually. Yeah, because that's, I mean, I I was listening to a a podcast recently and I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, you know, 80% of of getting to know your audience is just listening. Um, You just need to listen because people just want to be heard because they do have those pain points. Um, And if you're listening to those and actually addressing them to the best of your ability, people are going to so appreciate that because it's, you know, in, in a, in the noise of a thousand shops online, people have pain points, but they feel rarely listened to. And like the company is actually taking, taking those suggestions to heart. That's part of what you were saying earlier, how, you know, used to let's go back, like before, honestly, before the three of us were really doing any shopping, you would go into like a very specialized mom and mom and pop department store Mm -hmm. and you would get a very personalized experience and you could mm-hmm. tell them your pain point and they could come up with a solution. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, now like last night, my husband and I were at Academy and we asked where something was. And the guy was like, it's uh, over there. And he was like, Oh, it's over there. And we were like, we looked, we didn't see it. And he asked on his little microphone, what somebody said. And they're like, Oh, it's on this aisle. And then we had to go <laughs> find it ourselves. Um, it's just a pain. It was a pain. Making noises, guys. It's just my chair, I promise. Okay. <laughs> I am not editing that out. So um, but I but online, hold on. Online, you you still need to have that experience of being able to to express a pain point and for the the shop owner to respond to it. It's just different. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can totally toot your own horn and be like, hey, I notice a lot of people hate having tags sticking out on the back. I use stamps. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get scratched. This is a- yeah, and that's all. Oh, that one specifically is a huge pain point for a lot of a lot of uh, parents. Really a pain in the neck. Yeah, literally, and also for um, like I mean, yes. what adult likes tags either? So <laughs> they're weird, always weird adults. I'm sorry if you're one of those adults that like the tag sticking you in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, you did a really good segment on, on brands falling into categories that you notice as you're looking at the companies you want to emulate. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you go touch on that? So, I mean, when you're creating, especially like the visual aspects of your brand, these major brands are usually going to fit into kind of different visual categories. Um, you know, there's going to be like the earth, more earthy brands. There's going to be the ones that kind of focus more on pops of color and really grabbing your attention. Um, there's going to be ones that are more minimalist. Chances are you as a shopper, as a visual shopper are going to gravitate towards a certain type of company and maybe several different ones. And that's totally fine. When you, when you're kind of playing around with the visual aspects of your, of your branding and also, um, your brand voice, um, it's totally okay to kind of find a few companies that fit into that kind of same visual um, category, because when these companies have a similar um, visual aesthetic, uh, they're often gonna, going to attract a similar type of customer or a similar type of viewer. Um, and then you're going to notice that those viewers have similarities amongst themselves too. So like I said before, they might have like a similar uh, home decor um, aesthetic or like, for example, a huge one that I notice is like companies that gear more towards like earthy colors and more muted tones. The people that shop from these companies almost always have a fiddle fig somewhere in their house. <laughs> they love plants. They love succulents. They love muted tones. Succulents. Like it is 
there. <laughs> I, I would, I had a little thing. It was the first tree I ever bought. And I don't know why I did that because I finally sold it when it was half dead. And I'm like, I'm just going to kill this thing. <laughs> Somebody please rehome it, it to someone who will actually not kill it. So I think note, I it. it's not just, I it. <laughs> it's not just the actual items that you're selling. It's the other type of things they look at. So like my customer yeah. base, I'm targeting people who like those little, those necklaces that have the one small, the one small charm. Mm-hmm. You know, like with a very personalized thing uh they're not the ones that like the the big gaudy necklaces mm-hmm. or the ones with all this junk on it right. um <laughs> with all the the things dangling off of it they don't use mm-hmm. like super fancy fringy stuff they're not attracted to that sort of style uh so i know that if somebody f- on etsy favorites my shop or favorites one of my items i can see what else they favorited and if they favorited very similar items i know that i'm getting the right target audience of course i would love to make a sale right um it sounds so stalker of me but i know that i'm targeting i'm getting the right target so i that might be one hint you know what online marketing is all stalking these days like the way that technology just just follows you i'm sorry that's just the way it works i can see Um, what your instagram feed looks like like the internet is following them around. So <laughs> that's just, be just aware. kind of the reality of it. Uh, so uh, speaking of aesthetics, I think we had a really good talk about uh, font selection because that's part of aesthetics. Mm. Let's just briefly talk about uh, that. Yeah. So it's easy to change um, if you don't. Now, yeah, like Kathleen, you, you had great stuff to say about just how um, how different fonts communicate different things to your to your customer. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, a really great, great um, point to pull from just how important topography is, is uh, that's the fancy word that I that I like to use when I'm talking about fonts. <laughs> um, it's the typography. Ty- yeah, exactly. It's the type like of type, font you're using. Typing. <laughs> um, so basically, the the topography that you're using is going to communicate something to your to your audience, and and at the simplest base level, um, the fonts that you choose to use should communicate first to your audience what to expect from your company. So if you like to make minimalist shoes you're probably not going to be using script fonts um, in your logo or in your medieval fonts either. Exactly. (laughs) So that's, you want to look for sans serif, which means without the serif, which is this little, uh, Brandilyn calls it. Sticky outy things. (laughs) I use the same phrase. Uh, But if you, sorry, I totally hijacked this. (laughs) No, I I learned this like three months ago. So so I'm not an expert, Uh, but serif, which is things like Times New Roman font, convey uh, authority, age, uh, luxury. Uh, so think of companies that use that, um, like Bolex mm. <laughs> has the traditional the, feel to it. It has a very traditional, luxurious, high-end co- feel. So you're not going to want to use something like Comic Sans if you're making high-end. Um, <laughs> I should, Naomi's like, please don't use Comic Sans in any circumstance. <laughs> you should almost never be using Comic There's no appropriate time for Comic Sans. you literally make crayons. <laughs> which is trademark. So please don't actually do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're not going to use Comic Sans, which is if you don't know what that is. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a, a childish looking font. If you don't know what that is, you do know what Look that it. is. You just don't know the name. Exactly. Look it up, Google it. <laughs> You've seen um, it. <laughs> but if you're making high-end custom-made wedding gowns, you should not be using Comic Sans because that does not convey <laughs> this is worth the $4,000 you're paying feel. Exactly. I think Naomi's a business is geared towards women who are makers 
Mm-hmm. or sewers. Yeah. The, uh, the majority of my audiences is, is, uh, is women. And so I'm not afraid to kind of deep dip into the pinks and, and the script fonts. Um, it's not super feminine, but it's got touches of feminine. And that is intentional on my part because uh, part of my community is women being comfortable um, in, in the, in the community and, and feeling comfortable interacting with each other. So not to say that like no men allowed, men are allowed, but no boys allowed. I'm creating is, yeah, no, no boys. Um, you know, yes, boys, boys allowed. Boys allowed is more, yeah, is more geared towards women and the community of women entrepreneurs. So um, it's okay with me if men don't necessarily feel like that's the place for them. I'm not necessarily going to cater to what they need in business. I am going to cater more towards what women need in business. So uh, not to say that men can't glean from from the information there, but there's probably another place that would serve them better. Um, so the, like the, the getting down to the nitty gritty of it, you found your niche. And that was something that we exactly. talked about with, with all businesses need to find their niche. Exactly. Yeah. And, and my niche is women owned mostly product-based businesses. Um, maybe it'll expand in the future, but right now that's where, that's where I feel like there's a need. Um, and that's one of the, the best things. And the first things that a company can do is just finding what do I want to make? What niche am I in? Uh, or do I want to, do I want to kind of nestle myself into, um, and then building out your brand identity from that. And you can always change your niche. So don't be like, well, Mm -hmm. I don't want to commit to this and get stuck. It's not like getting married. No, exactly. And that's, (laughs) that's like, you know, for, uh, for excellence and strive for getting it, getting it as close to what you really want as possible. But the chances are that your branding will change within the first year or two, because there will always be something that you look back on, think, I wish I did that differently. And that's totally okay. So we're not striving for hundred percent perfection the first time. Um, we're just getting, you're getting more comfortable with what you like and you can't really figure out what you love long-term until you start somewhere. I get to use my phrase again. Finished is better than perfect. Uh, exactly. Finished is better than perfect. This is true. With so, which a lot of business owners struggle with, I think, but it is, yeah, it's true. When you, you've decided your niche and then you'd kind of know your, your customer's aesthetic. Then the next things we talked about were figuring out brand colors and logo, how those also need to be genuine to your personality. Like the basic steps of where to start mm-hmm. um, when building a brand identity. If you're starting bare bones, um, I think your first step is just going to be, again, like, yeah, figuring out your niche. What niche do I want to be into? Try not to have 20 different products that all kind of conflict with each other. They should be cohesively in like a collection of sorts that makes sense (laughs) with each other. Um, You don't want to offer like grow with me hoodies and lacy ruffly dresses. That's probably going to be confusing to your audience. Um, So try to have your products be cohesive with each other. Um, And then step two is going to be figuring out now this is more visual um, because obviously having your, your niche is going to help you figure out what you want to say to your audience and how you want to speak to them and everything that just comes with getting to know your audience. Like we talked about before, come up with just a simple color palette. You can start with like two colors, create lighter and darker versions of those colors and use that as your brand palette and just kind of splash those colors everywhere. Color, uh, it was a statistic I read uh, not long ago. It was color alone um, increases brand recognition by like 80%. So that is the first thing people notice uh, about your brand is the color. So 
if you repeat those colors in all the aspects of your branding, you're going to have a much better um, chance of people recognizing you. What's the recommended number of colors? Is there like a point where there's too many colors? I would say like, it depends if you're kind of using if, so there's, there's kind of two ways to go about it. I usually recommend that people kind of start with like two, maybe three colors and then create the lighter and darker versions of those. Um, Start with two, if you're like really bare bones, just to keep it simple. Um, It's not any less uh, customized because I myself only use, I started with two primary colors and I've just run with it um, and it's worked for me. But then there are other brands that use like five or six all different colors. um, Maybe if they're looking for more of a bright aesthetic, um, and they don't really use lighter and darker versions of those colors. They just use that palette where all the colors are different um, and that works for them. So I would say there's kind of different ways to go about it. But um, in general, I would aim for maybe like six, give or take a few. I have like two. <laughs> I'm yeah, and, and, and that's I'm cool totally that. fine because you can use those too and then just create lighter and darker versions of them because there'll be those instances like on your website or on your email marketing where you you just think like, oh, I wish I had a lighter version of this for like an accent or like I wish I had a darker uh, version of this for a headline. So it's just, they're basically just supporting, um, they support that kind of brand aesthetic that you've created without using different colors or just being able to use like white and black. And so- you, once you've kind of got a color palette and you've kind of got a font palette, I don't know if palette's the right word there, then you kind of start thinking about your logo. And we talked about making your logo. We also talked about like resources for creating the logo. Yeah. And kind of recap all that. Yeah. So um, if you're, if you're up for creating a logo on yourself or on yourself by yourself, <laughs> um, then I would probably start with, uh, Kathleen suggested Google fonts is a great uh, resource to check out. Um, I usually start with Dafont, D-A-F-O-N-T. Basically, I just like to search through the categories, um, pick a category like that coincides with your branding, like script if you're more feminine or more minimalist if you're going for a modern look, um, and just kind of scroll through, download the ones that resonate with you. What's great about Defont is that you can actually put in a test script. Um, and this is super helpful for if you're doing a logo because it'll basically just show you your text in that font. Um, because you might think you like a font and then you try it in your in your word or your name and, you, and then it just doesn't look good anymore. Um, or the opposite, you might not think that you like something until you try it. So uh, type in your test script and then go scrolling and download all the ones that you like, and then test them out against each other on like a Word document. Um, And then once you really pick the one that resonates with you, go and um, get the licensing for it. Because then uh, if you're getting the proper licensing, you can use it. Well, you shouldn't be using it for a font without licensing, of course. But um, once you have have that font, you can use it across all your branding. And it's just a really great way to tie everything together. How do you create a logo? Resources for developed branding. So we're talking well, about think, where to look for. I think you, I think though so you hit on, you hit on a good point. Cause um, my kids are probably going to be home in about five minutes. So maybe we need to talk about knowing when we need to rework our branding and how, to, how to know if your branding is working. And then we'll do another episode about logos. And um, you talked about photography mm-hmm. also that we haven't even touched. So maybe we'll do another episode about logos and photography and kind of more that visual aesthetic. And right now we could just go over the, how do you know if your branding is working? Um, I would say like, as you're, well, obviously you're selling product. (laughs) 
if your branding is working for you, your audience is engaged and you're selling product. Um, if it's not working for you, you're going to want to go through and kind of figure out what, at what point you're kind of losing people. So for example, um, if you're on social media and you're getting likes or you're not getting, let's say, let's start with, you're not getting likes on your photos, then you might need to rethink your, uh, photography or your photos. Um, cause obviously they're not engaging and they're not really getting people's attention. If you're getting likes, but no comments, then you need to start looking at your captions. Why are you not getting engagement is maybe it's not very captivating. Maybe there's no call to action. Maybe there's no reason for people to comment. Um, if you're getting likes, you're getting comments um, and people are getting stuck on your website, maybe they're getting stuck on the flow of your website. Maybe they don't know where to go um, or your website is kind of boring and it's just kind of losing them when they get there and they're thinking, oh, I'll look at this later. If you're getting them all the way to your product listing, then you need to start thinking about your product descriptions, your price point. And at that point, you probably have an audience that you'd be comfortable talking with if, you, if you're having consistent flow to your product listings and just kind of get curious with them and figure out um, maybe a price point is the issue. Maybe it's a shipping cost. That's the issue. Um, so basically just kind of following the trail of where your, where your customers are getting to before they kind of fall off the bandwagon and you're not going to convert every person. Um, that's unrealistic, but also just kind of figuring out where am I losing people and how can I improve that? And sizing be- is probably another thing where you lose people where they don't know what size to wear. If, if you make a Absolutely. garment, uh, to touch on the pricing point it's not always because you need to have your prices too high Mm -hmm. sometimes it's your price seems too low to the audience very true yeah your pricing just like everything else has to be consistent with the brand that you're presenting to people so if someone is shopping for a custom wedding gown they're not gonna um, pay 80 bucks 200 dollars yeah they're gonna go what is wrong why is this so cheap you know this what's wrong with it What's wrong with it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And why why is it so cheap when I was expecting it to be double that price? People are going to be skeptical of that and they're going to look for something that more fits what they were expecting um, to see. So, and especially if your brand is communicating luxury and you're, you're saying we sell luxury wedding gowns, then that price needs to reflect that because people are going to expect that the price they're paying for something communicates the value of it. So, you know, a low price doesn't communicate high value and people want a high value wedding dress. So uh, yeah, your branding does need to, or your pricing does need to be cohesive with the brand you're representing to people. And I want to remind you of something you said about um, if, if you're always trying to compete for the lowest price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're, you know, any small shop, you know, full stop, never compete on price because you'll lose to Walmart every time. Um, we don't have the buying power they do. There is a market for Walmart. And it's a price conscious, it's a price conscious consumer. And exactly. that's not usually you what you're might, targeting. You might be, um, you might be Walmart's target market which is totally okay. That's another thing, important thing that you don't necessarily have to be your target market to sell a certain product. You might be Walmart's biggest fan, but you as a small shop don't have the ability to produce um, as low of a cost of a product as Walmart does. Because A, when you produce something in the thousands of quantities, your prices will always be lower. Um, So as a small shop, we just don't have the ability to do that. And there are people that value things about the small shop offering that Walmart can't, um, can't produce. So uh, like a a handmade item, um, something that has taken time or time to make, or um, even just the fact that you are a woman owned business. Uh, People really appreciate that about small shops and there's a market for it. So if you are producing something, there is 
there's, and if you're passionate about something, there will always be a market out there for it. And, and yes. that's a big problem with a lot of makers. I've noticed even mm-hmm. myself, you have a hard time charging what you're worth, mm-hmm. what your time and the material that's put in, because you're thinking, oh, other people are going to approach this as if they're makers or if they're crafters or sewers. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go, well, I could have made that. And it only costs, you know, $15 in material. Why wouldn't I just do that? So then you were thinking, I can't charge more than $20 for this garment, but it exactly. took you four hours to make or more, depending on what you're making. Like Exactly. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, people- um, Don't shortchange yourself. That's true. People will appro- approach it like, um, like it's another maker looking at it. But usually your audience is not- people who either know how to make it or they just don't care to. Um, so, and that's totally okay. It's like, and, and then, and the other thing is, you know, if you are someone that loves to look for a bargain, um, you know, you're you, going to have maybe, a hard time. You're going to have a hard time with that, with which that, is totally, you okay. are not your target audience. Sniff out a deal, more power to you. That's awesome. But you shouldn't be necessarily applying that to your product because, the market that is looking specifically for handmade small shop items, they often aren't bargain sniffers. They want to know like, who is running this company? Is this a woman owned company? I love that. What are you making? Oh, it's unique. I love that too. They're not necessarily, you know, price point isn't necessarily their, their first, um, determiner, their first pain point. So this is why my husband, this is why my husband who he owns a woodworking company, he doesn't ask my advice anymore on what to charge for something because I, always say too low and then he's like why would like that's too low and I'm like well I, I wouldn't say something. more than that and yeah. he's so, like he's like no you wouldn't you would have me make it so exactly <laughs> I find often if you're a maker or you're a crafter or a sewer like you are not your target audience if you're selling a physical product it's very true because how many times have I gone to companies that I admire on their sale days and been like oh I really like that nah, I could make that <laughs> And then you end up not buying it anyway. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, it's, I love it. And I have purchased from them before, but uh, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I have so much fabric I should probably get through first. So it's, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not in the market for that, but sometimes I am. It really just depends. <laughs> I think we need to respect Naomi's time. And I know my kids will be home <laughs> so soon. Sorry. So Entirely uh, I'm fired. No, you're not. It's okay. So we're going to kind of wrap this up. Early. And then we'll, yeah, we're, we will we'll definitely have, have a part two. We might put yes. these together in one episode, but you're going to hear all of this because my time is yeah. short too. All right. So let's wrap it up. We have a Facebook group called the the Small Business Sewing Community, and we want you to join us there. And you can come and this week, we're going to ask the question, the week that we put this podcast out, we're going to ask the question, what surprised you most about branding after listening to this? And because of that, what are you going to change in your shop? And then we also want to make sure that we send you to all of the places that you can find Naomi and you can get way more information from her because she has so much to share. So uh, Kathleen, why don't you ask those four questions and get us. Okay. So let's ask our four questions that we ask uh, all of our 100% of our guests, which is you at this point. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to admit it. We're very brand new. Uh, So what is your favorite time-saving tip? Social media posting um, programs. Which one do you use? Scheduling programs. I use Tailwind um, because you can use it on the computer and I hate being on my phone. So Tailwind for Instagram and Pinterest and potentially Facebook kind of, but it's gotten complicated there. So Pinterest and Instagram for Tailwind. Okay. Uh, How do you price your products? It's a little hard because you do consulting. Great question though. Uh, You know what? My rough method is take your cost of materials um, and your cost of manufacturing, even if that is you 
doing the manufacturing, you have to pay yourself for your time and times it by two and a half. Um, and then you can play with that number to get it to a more even number or whatever. Um, but that'll give you roughly a 50 to 60% profit margin. Which is for those of you listening, it's not shocking. That's actually what you need because you need to pay your bills, pay yourself, yes. pay taxes. Uh, Never and- just go to a group and say, well, what would you charge for this? Because it entirely depends on what your cost is. Mm-hmm. And what your audience is willing to pay. Yeah. But those are very related. Like if you live somewhere with a very high cost of living, people are going to be willing to pay more, but it's also True. going to cost you more. If you exactly. live somewhere with a low cost of living, people aren't going to be willing to pay as much, but your overhead won't be as much. Exactly. If your price is uh, is too high, your retail price, then you're going to need to revisit your cost and not necessarily just drop your profit margin. Right. Because you still need to pay your mortgage and feed your you kids <laughs> if you have kids or your dog. So what do you automate? What do I automate? Uh, social media posting. Um, I try to schedule emails ahead of time as much as possible. Um, other than, ah, Not much other than that. Um, I'm, I try to be present with my audience as much as possible. Um, but automating social media is, is, uh, is a huge one for sure. It's, it's super helpful. But, and that's going back to using the tailwind to do posts. Exactly. Yeah. But you're, and, you're and, still uh, responding in real time. Exactly. And then for emails, just writing ahead of time when I do have time and then scheduling them so that I'm not last minute trying to read it and then, or write it and then send it out. And the, are these emails you're sending to your like email list? Exactly. Yes. Um, okay. So how can others find you? And please tell us about your new course I've been hearing about. Oh, great. Um, you can find me mostly on small biz branding, Z, uh, biz with a, a Z. Thank <laughs> you Z for if you're Canadian, if you're Canadian <laughs> or anywhere else in the world. Yeah, exactly. Small biz branding um, on Facebook. That's where the community really is. Um, you can check out the website as well. It's NaomiCatherine.com. Um, and right Catherine now we're K. just Catherine with a K. That is, oh, I guess I never even thought about that. My name's definitely K, but C. you know what? I would go to the Facebook group first because that's where the action is. We are working through right now just the different steps of um, what it takes to build a brand identity in the group um, each week because I'll have a course releasing um, at the end of February um, that basically takes you through all those steps with your brand voice, your aesthetic, photography, and then how to apply that to all your promotional materials. So kind of right now, we're just working through those things um, leading up to the release of that course. Which will be very helpful for a lot of people. Uh, So so. by the time this comes out, the course should be out. So definitely join the Facebook group. Also join Mm -hmm. our Facebook group, which is again, uh, the small business sewing community. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can talk about this topic, uh, ask questions if you need to get a hold of Naomi. I think she's a member as well. She just joined, thank you. Uh, or join her Facebook group. This has been actually amazing. You guys were not privy to about <laughs> a, an hour of amazing tips and ideas. Uh, so we will come to, back we to will it. come back to that. But you, so you're going to actually hear Naomi's uh, questions twice. <laughs> so come up with a different uh, time saving tip and pricing product and automation tip, <laughs> please. Uh, thank you so much. So it we just talked about how to brand, thinking about your image. You want to be consistent and cohesive. The biggest idea is to pick uh, brand colors and stick with them. Mm-hmm. And then be when you're talking to your audience, either on social media, via email, on your if you have a blog or on your website, just use, talk like you're talking 
to us or you're talking to somebody in conversational, you know, you can use contractions and, and um, use normal words you would normally use. Don't try to be formal if your company is not supposed to be super formal. Uh, so I, is there anything else you want to add, Brandilyn? No, I think that really. Other than I'm fired from <laughs> recording. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that really covered most of what we talked about. We'll come back and add in some logo and photography stuff and yeah, let me go feed my kids lunch and put them down for a nap before they lose their minds with <laughs> All right. So this is Brandilyn and Kathleen for the Small Business Sewing Podcast. Uh, we were talking with Naomi Crack about branding and imaging for your business, your sewing business. Follow us, like us, leave comments. You can find us on Facebook, on YouTube, and that there's no end. Facebook and, and, and any any type of <laughs> and podcasting. podcasting. Yes. Keep it released. Okay. Thanks. We've been better at this before. <laughs> okay. Thanks. K-bye. Okay,